seems quite fitting that after hearing of the coming of the Son of Man, uh, we open our Bibles to Genesis 1 and read about the creation of man. So please turn with me to Genesis 1, and we will read verses 26 through 31. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth of the day. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to come here at the close of this, your day, the Lord's day, uh, and worship you. I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to the power of your word this evening. Uh, Lord, that we might gain new wisdom and grow closer to you. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we tackled uh, the idea that God created the universe out of nothing. Right? It's called ex nihilo. And we've gathered that our creator is powerful and that he has a purpose for his creation. And so this evening we're going to continue uh, discussing creation. Uh, but tonight we're going to focus on the efforts of the sixth day. The sixth day of creation. Similar to my five-year-old uh, saving the best bite of her food on her plate until the very end of dinner, God also saved the best for last. Right? He had to. He created the heavens and the earth, and he separated the water from the land, and he, he filled the land with plants and trees, and then he filled the ocean with fish, and then the skies with the birds and the ground with all sorts of living creatures. Then and only then was the earth ready for mankind. And it's here at the end of the first chapter of the Bible that we find the first account of God creating man in his image. In his image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this evening, we're going to continue making progress in, uh, through our catechism. And we've hit a milestone now. We are officially in double digits. We're on question number 10. Question number 10. How did God create man? And the answer is this. God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and with dominion over all of the creatures. And so as we've made our way through this series, I've usually taken the road less traveled. I, I, I like to do that. I actually asked Mr. Sumter today if he ever takes the road less traveled on his travels. Um, I sometimes like, like to do that, um, both when I'm driving and I just like taking the hard way. And I've tried to highlight through uh, going through some of these catechism questions, some of the lesser, obvi less obvious proof texts for the catechism answers, right? And, and we need to remember, um, when I say proof texts, I mean, you know, we're talking about 
texts that support the Bible and support the catechism, texts that come from the Bible, because this catechism is not just a series of question and answers. It's, uh, it's wisdom that comes from the Word of God. So this evening we're going to take the road more traveled, right, and explore the original count of the creation of mankind in Genesis 1. There's no better place to go when talking about the creation of man than Genesis 1. So as we approach our text this evening, I'd like to do so through the lens of our shorter catechism. When I was thinking about this sermon this last week, and I spent hours, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go about talking about the creation of man. And I just didn't quite know where to go. And, uh, you know, I kind of got lost in it. And then I decided, okay, let's read the catechism again. What does the catechism said? And then it, then it hit me. The catechism offers the perfect outline for this scripture. And so we're going to go with that. Right? Answer number 10 says, God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over his creatures. So the end of Genesis 1 tells us that uh, we can get four things from this passage of scripture and from our catechism question this evening. Right? We get that God created man, and then it tells us that God created us, male and female. Genesis 1 also tells us that God created man in his own image. And finally, it tells us that God gave us dominion over the plants and the creatures on this earth. So in lieu of this knowledge, uh, let us open our Bibles to page 1, or page 2 uh, on my Bible. Genesis 1 will hopefully be a fairly familiar chapter to those of you guys here this evening. Right In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we're told that God spent the first five days of creation making all the things, right? Preparing the way for his grand finale, right? The chief of all creation. Commentator Matthew Henry wrote about this, and he said it was not fit for man to be lodged in the palace designed for him until it was completely fitted up and furnished for his reception. So here we are in the second half of the sixth day, and God's creation is ready for man's grand entrance. Please read along with me, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our, image, in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. This may seem like an obvious fact for most of us sitting in this room uh, this evening, but that doesn't mean that we should skip over it, right? Because many people struggle with this basic first step, and they need to hear that. And you need to be ready to tell them about it. Verse 27 begins with four very important words. So God created man. Right? That's it. Right? That, that's step one in our first point this evening. God created man. Our bodies did not, by happenstance, come together when the right primordial ooze mixed with the left primordial ooze. And, and we also, we didn't come from monkeys. Right? God created man. And it's really simple. And this verse structure is much like the previous verses where, you know, God spoke and then he created. Right? The Hebrew word for create used in Genesis 1 uh, this word is only ever used when God performs a creative act. It's never used for man making something or creating something. It's only used for God in creating. Right? It's, and so we're original. Right? Contrary to modern science, we are not the byproduct of a chain of evolution. 
We're original. God created us. And these other scientific theories for how human beings came into being aren't actually very scientific at all. I heard one, one uh, guy in preparing the sermon uh, talked about this. For um, These things can't be repeated. And the result, you know, it, it, they can't be repeated results in a laboratory. So their theories can never be proven by the scientific method. And secondly, their theories are full of holes, right? There's gaps that science simply cannot explain. These scientific theories I don't think are very scientific at all, right? They're merely theological arguments thrown against our own cosmic creator. It's man trying to usurp God's authority, which he's given to us in Scripture. And he's given to us through general revelation, which are those things which can, which can be clearly seen. So God created man. It's a very important first step as we dig into the rest of Scripture, all of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we see that God created man, but we also see that he created us, male and female. And that's it. There's no third gender. There's no fourth gender or fifth or sixth option here. Right? If Dr. Holcomb was present, I'm sure he'd give us a number, uh, the number of genders that are currently recognized by modern science. Right? He, he enjoys talking about these things. But I guess at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter either. Because on a whim, you can now just decide whether you want to be a girl tonight or a boy in the morning and a unicorn by lunch tomorrow. You might laugh at that, but my wife's a counselor, and she has clients who actually identify as weirder things than that. And it's a real thing. It's a real thing in our society right now. We joke about it sometimes in our Christian circles, but it's a thing that people are struggling with. And we can't just put our heads in the sand and pretend that it's just going to go away. We can try that, but I wouldn't hold your breath. So I think that we need to be well-versed in truth in order to spot the false narrative that's being promoted by our culture today. I don't notice, but if, I don't know if you've noticed, but our, our culture is no longer just quietly ignoring Christianity. Right? Our culture is demanding the opposite at the top of their lungs. And it almost seems that, sometimes it seems like they're currently winning. At least that's what our cell phones and televisions tell us, Right? What does scripture have to say about this? Let's go back to the Bible. I said that this morning. I'm going to say it again. Let's go back to the Bible. In the first chapter of this thousand page book, right? It spells it out in black and white ink. God created man in his own image In the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. So I'd propose that this fact is not up for debate. And it's almost as if, I think it's almost as if God knew that we might try and confuse this simple truth because when it, what, what comes next in verse 28? And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Oh, we don't have to be scientists and biologists to know how multiplying works. Right? You need one male, you need one female, and no other combination is going to do. It seems so obvious. It would be pretty normal to, uh, a pretty normal thought to wonder how on earth we got to this point that our culture is in today. Right? We've got grown men on video trying to nurse babies. We've got grown women trying to pretend that they're strong and as fast as are, are, are the best male athletes. And these things just aren't ever going to happen. So how do we get to the state of disillusionment? Disillusion. Right? This world is crazy. So don't let it change you. 
There's a subtle little thing going on in our culture today. And if you watch television, and I think we all do, right? If you go to movies, many of us do. If you read books, many of us do. Be careful, right? Be careful because there's subtle things that say you're wrong and they are right. And it's not very loud at first, but it's there. And you start picking it up time after time when you're continuing uh, in these things, when you're continually watching that screen, right? We need to be careful, because these things are a lie, right? The world has lost its step and it is either lost or rejected, right? Step one, right? We're created by the God of this universe. If you don't get that right, everything else seems to crumble. Confusion steps in and it leads to some pretty wild places. You know, if you think you've been born in the wrong body, then you're just flat out mistaken. You don't need a different physical body. You need to be born again. You need to be born, as Christ told Nicodemus, born again. And so these foundational truths might seem pretty obvious to most of us here this evening. But they're foolishness to the world around us. My charge to you this evening is to not lose hope. It may seem like our culture is too far gone. Have you ever, you know, have you ever had a child that's become too rebellious? Right? I don't know about you, but my human inclination as a dad is to yell and to scream. Right? And to match their level of rebellion with my level of energy. I don't know about you, but that does not work well for me. Right? So perhaps we can learn something about that simple illustration. Right? Let's not match fight fire with fire. The state of our culture has caused some Christians to do that. Right? With the advent of social media, we can now make fancy videos and that grab our attention and stir up our frustrations. Right? It's easy to want to pick up the pitchfork and, and storm the castle. But I'm not convinced that this is the way that we've been taught in Scripture. It's not been the way that we are taught to address culture in Scripture. On the flip side, there are also brothers and sisters who sit back and don't say anything. Right? Sometimes it's very prudent, and sometimes that is called for. But the apostles in the New Testament didn't sit back idly by and let culture take over the churches. Have you read Paul's epistles? In his letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul says this. He says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. The state of our modern culture is, is not novel. Right? These words were written 2,000 years ago, so let's learn from the past and see what Paul's response was. He says this, But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you might obtain the glory of the Lord of Je- the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold your- on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our open letter, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Scripture doesn't tell us to fight fire with fire. Paul reminds us to hold on, hold on to the truths that were found in Scripture. Paul's not sitting, sitting idly by and allowing this deception to be left unmatched in the church. He's using his own words both spoken and written 
to encourage his brothers. He's using his word to encourage his brothers and his sisters in Christ. So perhaps we might need to share some words with people that we love. And I'd be willing to bet that it wasn't too easy or comfortable for Paul to pin this reminder to the church in Thessalonica. I bet some of these things kind of hurt and stung. But he said it nonetheless. And he did so without fighting fire with fire. He simply called upon the living water. So let us be a church that understands truths found in Scripture. Right? No matter how basic and how obvious they're going to seem, God created us. Male and female, he created us. And let us hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. God created man. God created man, male and female. And God also created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Wild is that? Look with me back at verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. I think this is a really good argument as to why we shouldn't fight fire with fire. Right? Attacking another human using their skewed tactics is forgetting that they, even though maybe mistaken, are image bearers of our creator. And as such, they deserve our respect. When we return to the creation narrative in Genesis 1, we see a created order. Right? For there's no other creature on this earth that is said to bear the image of God. That honor is bestowed solely on humankind. That's a big honor. And what does that mean? Right? You might have heard of this concept being referred to as a Mago Day. Right? That's this concept of being created in the image of God. And at its most basic principle, we need to understand that man reflects the Lord. I don't know if you guys saw the moon last night, but it was, it was huge. It was beautiful. I think it was a harvest moon. And it was bright orange. Uh, we were driving home with some of the kids kind of late at night uh, last night and got to see that and talk with them about, you know, where does that light from the moon come from? You know, there's no light that actually emanates from the moon. It merely reflects the moon. And that's what we are. We're reflecting the image of God. Right? We are creatures. And as such, we are dependent. We're finite and we're derived. I think as humans, we like to play God, right? Our culture tells us that, 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 that I'm the only thing that matters, right? And, and each one of us are the only thing that matters. It's me. It's my opinion, my truth, my feelings. That's simply not true. We are image bearers, image bearers of a holy God. And as such, we are accountable to God. He is not accountable to us. And I think our catechism provides deeper insight into this uh, concept of uh, being created in God's image. It says we're created in God's image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Right? And these descriptors come straight from scripture. Unlike the other creatures on this earth, God made us as spiritual beings with a capacity to enter into a right relationship with God. The apostle Paul in his letter to Colossians speaks of putting off our old selves and putting off our, putting on our new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. And then in Ephesians 4, I think it's verse 24, he speaks of renewing our minds again, and that we should put, off, put on our new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we're created in the image of God. How? As our confession states, right? The Bible tells us that we're created in his image in our knowledge, those things that we know our righteousness, 
a righteousness that doesn't come from us, but it comes from Jesus and our holiness. A very important implication of this concept is the basis of human dignity. So when we talk about the sanctity of life, it has nothing to do with a person's economic value or political affiliation or their contribution to society, right? We've got to push, uh, push against that narrative as hard as we can. Human life, human worth, right? Our intrinsic value is based on the image of God, which is he's given to all mankind. It's also important to remember that uh, being created in the image of God does not mean that we are perfect, right? Because we're, we're sinful, we've defaced the image of God, right? It hasn't been destroyed, right? it hasn't been taken out, but it is cracked. It is broken. So what do we need? As I proposed earlier, I think we need the living water. Right, gentlemen, our wives tell us that if we suffer from cracked skin, all we need is a little lotion, right? I hate lotion. I absolutely hate it because it makes me feel weak. I don't, it's a silly thing, but I just don't like using it because it makes me feel weak. But the broken heart, the cracked reflection of God's image in our soul needs the living water. Right? Jesus offers this gift to the Samaritan woman at the well. He says, anyone who drinks this water, I will, will give them, will not thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So once again, I'm going to say that when it comes to this culture war that we find ourselves in, we should not fight fire with fire. Instead, let us offer the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. As a longtime uh, youth minister and working in that world, I would often have parents that would come to me wanting to fix their kids' behavior, right? Or kids fix their friends, uh, kids' friends' behavior. Um, and I like to remind them that I, I said this over countless times, but right? I am not in the behavior modification business. But I did welcome the opportunity to talk with them and present them with the good news of the gospel. Because in my experience, I found that the Holy Spirit is much more efficient than I am at changing someone's behavior. I think that's what we need. So the next time you find yourself at the dinner table with friends or with family, right, who are, they, they might be hostile to your, to your judgmental and Christian worldview. Right, don't bark back. Don't get frustrated. Right, these people are lost, just like you and I once were. I think the Bible is telling us to share the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that you and I have found in Christ, our Savior. The world is a broken and cracked place, yes. But the balm of Gilead, right, is this solve that restores our dry ground. So church, do not lose hope. God created us. Male and female, he created us. In the image of God, he created us. And this honorable position that he has bestowed on us does not come empty-handed. Let us return to our passage this evening. Please look with me at verse 28 and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth do you realize that the first thing that God did to mankind after creating them he blessed them he blessed mankind Right, once again, here is an honor not bestowed on the creatures, right? The creatures of the sea or the ones on the land or the ones in the air. God blesses his human creation. 
And then God said, he used his words, right? He spoke to man. We could stop right there and preach a whole sermon just on that mere concept, but our God is not a God of mystery, right? He doesn't sit on this throne from a distance, right? He was there in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he spoke to them. He spoke to them. Our God is a loving God who's caring and kind and giving. God's blessing here in Genesis 1 comes in the, fo- uh, the form of a fivefold command. Right? He tells us to be fruitful, to multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the other, other living creatures. It's important to note that this blessing and command theme is not abnormal. Right? This is a common theme that we find throughout the scriptures. Blessing, blessings and commands go hand in hand. Right? And this is, this is actually very countercultural if you think about it. Because as Americans, right, we see this blessed life as, as the freedom to do whatever we want. Right? Whenever we want to do it. Who's to tell me what to do? We don't like that. It's true. God created us as a man, as a, a free moral agent we are not in charge, right? We sit under the commands of the almighty God and we would be wise to remember that often. You know, immediately upon our creation, God blesses us. But the Lord's blessing comes in the form of commands. Psalm 1 talks about this too. It says that a blessed man is, uh, is one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners or sits at the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The Bible, once again, is telling us that a blessed person is an obedient person. Right? A, a blessed person is an obedient person. One who obeys the word of God. And what does God say to do in his first blessing to man? He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in short, God has asked us to be good stewards of what he's given us. Right? This dominion that we have is not something that we have won or something that we have achieved by our might. Right? It is, is something that has been endowed upon us by our creator. And I think all too often we hear this word good steward and, and our mind immediately jumps to money. Right? We've got to be a good steward with, with, with our finances. But we've been given so much more than just money, right? We've been given time. We've been given talents and skills. We've been given families, right? But we've also been given this planet and our natural resources too. So being a good steward is is being conscious about everything that we have and everything that we do. Why? Because it's not ours. It's a simple fact that these things aren't ours. These things are a gift and it's a gift that's been entrusted to us by God. We're merely managers, right? We're managers of this for the short season that we have it. So let's be be a people who take pride in taking care of the things that God has given us. What are our blessings? Look with me at Genesis 1, starting in verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, 
the sixth day. This evening we've waded through the second half of the sixth day of creation. Right, there's a lot to take in in these verses, and we've only scratched the surface of a few uh, of these points, but I think they're points that are basic, but they're worth remembering. God created man. Right, God made us male and female, and he created us in his image after his likeness. And God blessed us and, com- and gave us a command to subdue the earth and have dominion over the other living parts of this creation. Lastly, I think it's important to note that our knowledge, uh, that this knowledge, right, and this charge that uh, was not given to overwhelm us as humans. It's not a burden that God has placed on us. It is actually a blessing. God created us, right? Our cracks and our brokenness do not catch him off guard. We need to take comfort uh, that the moisturizer, right, the balm that, that heals these mortal wounds, was predestined before the world even began. For it is in Christ that we have redemption through his blood shed on the cross. And it's a free gift of salvation according to the will of God, which he set forth in Christ before the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and on earth. So let us rest, not worry, in the grace. Let us rest in the mercy and the power of God. For he created us and he cares for us And he speaks to us, and he's provided a way for us. And that is wonderful news. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you once again for this evening. Lord, I thank you for your grandness. I thank you for the blessing of life that you've given each one of us. Lord, let us be a people who uh, remember that everything we have is because of you and everything we have is a gift given by you. Please give us the strength to be respectful of those things, to be good stewards of what you have given us. Help us to love those around us. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.